Welcome to the Dayton Women in the Word podcast. We are women helping women to read their Bibles in the Dayton region and beyond. In order to equip our sisters to dig into Scripture, we have started an initiative called At Home in the Word. This podcast series is one of multiple resources created by our team to help you increase your confidence in your own personal study of God's Word. On this season of the podcast, we will be focusing on the overall meta-narrative of Scripture and the specific genres of Scripture. So grab your Bible and a notebook and listen in. Ladies, we invite you to join us Thursday, March 22nd at Keystone Church, 1600 Brownlee Drive in Kettering for our next teaching collective. For more info, please visit DaytonWomenInTheWord.com. Welcome back to the Dayton Women of the Word podcast. We are here for season six. So we've been going through um, the topic of being at home in the word. Um, So we've walked through a couple topics in some of our previous episodes, and I'm really excited today. Um, I'm your host, Bethany, this week. Um, I'm excited to welcome Melanie back to the podcast. Um, I first met Melanie when we did the podcast live recording um, that celebrated our um, 100th episode and two years on um, the podcast. So um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to what Melanie shared on the podcast live episode, I really encourage you um, to go back and give that a listen. So um, Melanie, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and where you're at in life and all that good stuff? Well, um, Christ, first of all, I think my beginning starts with Christ, and He became my Redeemer when I was 17 years old. I was at a summer camp in Upper State, New York. An amazing moment, gave my whole life to Him, and this great adventure began. Um, I've been married to the man I started dating just after that. He is my best friend. Um, We have four boys. They are 21, 16, 12, and 9, and they are a gift. I love being a mama to boys. We moved to Ohio about six and a half years ago from what I would call my beloved state of Michigan in the north, and um, sort of my story, even kind of leading up into this and my love of scripture really deepened in that move. Um, We were trying to find a new church home in our new state, and one of the churches we were attending, we heard the pastor encourage his flock just to pay attention to the red letters of Christ, and really just that Old Testament is so first century, you know, it's so old, it doesn't really apply today, and so in listening to that, I knew that was not true, (laughs) and so it kind of began just a, a deeper journey and getting more into the Word. And so I started off studying Romans, and I just opened up with the very first chapter and the very first verse and just walked through it really, really slowly and kind of um, savored it that way. And um, on my own, in my room, I didn't really have a lot of friends here yet at the time. And so um, I just started asking the Lord to teach me and help me. And He has sent me a lot of wonderful people to study the Word with, um, great friends, um, and 
And I'm just very, very grateful for that. Um, through the last six years, he's helped me so much. He sent me sisters um, to study the Word in my home, in my church, um, over the internet. <laughs> um, he has sent me some wonderful resources that have just really strengthened my ability to study the Word and to understand the Word, and he sent me some really great teachers. Um, most important, um, he I, what I think I really want to share with you guys today is that this journey was with him. And um, through the pages of his word, year after year, he showed me more and more of who he is and what he's done as a process. It took time, um, but I just want to encourage you all, um, yeah, to just be in his word with him. That's awesome. Um, it's it's fun kind of starting this talk, hearing a little bit about your story, um, because today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, a genre that's a more of a storytelling, story sharing genre. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the genre of scripture that you are kind of covering today? Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, examples that we see in scriptures of that genre and what what do you feel is a good reason for why some why studying books like that are helpful? Awesome. Okay, so today we're talking about biblical narrative, and um, basically, narrative is true, real life stories with characters and challenges. It's history. This is biblical history. Um, on top of that, it's it's God's story. What I love about biblical narrative is it's a story about Him. It's a story about his people mm -hmm. and what he was doing. Um, I like what David Platt says about this. It's not necessarily what should have happened mm -hmm. or ought to have happened always. Um, these are not perfect people mm -hmm. in God's word, but they are kind of the, he, he calls them the warts and all kind of characters. Um, I think of Moses. He made a huge mistake and killed an Egyptian. And David, he was king and a man after God's own heart, and yet he sinned mm -hmm. with Bathsheba. And there's Saul and Jonah and Ezra, and all these characters have flaws. Um, but yet there are, story about, there are stories about what God did mm -hmm. um, to and through, and I like to even think despite them sometimes, <laughs> like especially Jonah thinking about him and all this great redeeming of this, you know, undeserving people that he, that God did through him, um, and yet he's still angry and frustrated with mm -hmm. God. Um, we see biblical narrative, it, it's really important to know about it because it, 40% of the Old Testament is written in narrative. Um, keep in mind, it's history, it's true, it's real events that did happen. At the beginning, of it starts in Genesis and goes pretty much through the book of Nehemiah. But then there's also lots of other places in Scripture. Lots of other books are filled with narrative as well, Daniel, mm -hmm. Jonah. Haggai, Exodus, Numbers, you'll, you'll find narrative in a lots of places in the Old mm -hmm. Testament. And it's also large portions of the New Testament as well in the Gospels and the book of Acts, you'll find narrative as well. Um, why I love studying narrative is really that it it shows, you know, one, it, it points and gives glory to God. 
and what he has done. And yet at the same time, um, this is a mighty God who's huge and big and beyond my wildest imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, he's amazing. And yet at the same time, um, he the studying narrative shows me um, how he's just intricately involved in humans, mm-hmm. in our lives. He cares about us. He's involved in what we're doing, and um, he orchestrates the events of our lives, um, all to point to him. Mm-hmm. And so when I read narrative, um, a lot of the Old Testament narrative, too, points to our need mm-hmm. for a better um, a better redeemer, a mm-hmm. better um, high priest, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through these broken people, a better Moses to lead us out mm-hmm. of our bondage. And um, so, yeah, I just, I, I love reading the Old Testament and seeing how, on top of that, how Christ mm-hmm. fulfills those those roles and these broken characters, how Christ is the one that um, fulfills those roles and truly gives us hope. Yeah. I love um, that you kind of reemphasize that, yeah, we can we can call this a story, but this is history. This is, you know, what actually happens. And I know um, the church I attend, we just started going through first John. Um, so last the last week's sermon was the first one. And, you know, we kind of got a little bit of background, you know, why John wrote the letter. I'll actually be talking about epistles in a couple weeks. Um, so it was a good refresher for me as I prepped for that, um, recording that episode. But um, the purpose of first John is a, is a lot of um, reaffirming those believers that, you know, what, what they believe, they, they can trust what they have been taught. And something that you know, my pastor shared, which I don't know that I've really thought that much about, is that, you know, what is the point of having a faith that's a blind faith? You know, people talk about blind faith like it's a good thing, but why why would that be a good thing? We have a whole book of scripture that can be um, proven, you know, quote unquote, by historical events that, you know, can verify that what scripture says happened actually happened. So, you know, I think you're you're spot on in that, you know, studying this narrative, like sure these are great stories. And, you know, those of us who grew up in the church, you know, we we had the flannel graph experience, but it's more important because it shows us that, you know, God truly did what he said he did in his word. And so we can count on him to do what he says he'll do in the future, even though it hasn't happened yet. Um, so I know we kind of, you showed us a couple of places where, you know, we have maybe some books that could qualify the whole book maybe is narrative, but then it's also kind of chunks of other books too. So there's overlap, you know, in the gospels. Um, what, how do you feel like narrative is used, um, in the meta narrative? And like, maybe you can kind of explain a little bit of what meta narrative means to you. Sure. The meta narrative is God's big picture. It is the story seen in scriptures in the scripture from the beginning to the end. And there are four main parts, and the, those are creation, fall, 
redemption, and restoration. And in God's big story, creation starts in Genesis 1 and 2 with the account of how God knit together this world and how um, man, how he created man, and how all things pointed to, to his glory. They were orderly and perfect in the beginning when God created the world. Um, and then how God created man and woman, and he could be with them and walk with them and know them deeply and intimately. Then we have in Genesis 3, the fall. And that is um, man really believing that he knew better than God. He defied God. He disobeyed God. And sin entered this scene of God's story. Um, And everything in creation was broken and it was separated from the Holy One. What's also so very cool is immediately after this uh, fall, this sin, God's redemption begins right there still in Genesis 3. So towards the latter part of Genesis 3, there are verses that promise a coming Savior. Um, And the first sacrifice is made to cover um, the man and woman woman for their sin. Um, And they are driven out of the garden. They have to um, accept the consequences of their disobedience um, against a holy God. So there's separation. But this starts this process of redemption, which is the third, um, yeah, this third section, this third theme that's that's in God's story. And it starts in Gen- that latter part of Genesis 3, and it continues throughout all the rest of Scripture of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament points to this need that we have for um, the coming Messiah, this one who's going to um, redeem and make things right again between God and man. And we get to the Gospels in the New Testament, and Christ actually enters the scene. He enters the world, and He provides this perfect sacrifice um, to redeem those who put their trust in Him. Um, The rest of the New Testament and the letters reiterate Christ's perfect redeeming um, work that he did on the cross, and and it encourages us to um, repent um, and follow him and let him change us and make us um, more and more. This lifelong process, I think it is, of becoming more and more mm, sanctified, more and more Christ-like, um, more and more a really beautiful follower of him. Um, and then all of this points to the future, to revelation, when one day God will bring restoration to his creation, um, perfect order perfect glory to God in earth and in heaven. So that's kind of the meta-narrative as a whole, and really the narrative fits really nicely in all those places, and why it's important to understand um, God's meta-narrative, that whole big picture, is that um, when you're reading a particular book or a particular story, you want to be aware of it to see where does this fit in God's big picture. Um, Jen Wilkin is a wonderful Bible teacher, and she gives this analogy of a gardener, which I really, really like. So this is in chapter three of her book, um, Women with uh, women of the Word. Sorry, I'm going to say that wrong. 
In Jen Wilkins' uh, book, Women of the Word, she gives a wonderful example of this about being a gardener. And she uses that to explain meta-narrative. And kind of how she says that is just like a gardener doesn't go looking at his tomato plant in the middle of winter expecting ripe, red, juicy fruit. Um, He knows that plant is dormant or likely not going to produce fruit in winter. Um, just just like that, like sometimes when we're looking and we're reading a um, portion of scripture, we can't or we should not expect it to do something that um, falls outside of the meta narrative. So, so for example, um, we may have trouble relating to the Old Testament feeling it's somehow like I've heard different people say to me, well, God is so different then. The God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. No, he's not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, but we need to keep in mind the events and what um, God God is doing in his big picture in order to understand what's happening in the Old Testament. So what are some purposes or quirks that you have figured out that go along with studying biblical narrative, maybe compared to some of the other types of literature we see in scripture? Yeah, this is kind of a cool question because I um, just spent last semester, I, I, I teach a, home, a group of homeschoolers, a literature class, and um, just kind of how to analyze and read through literature. And biblical literature is very much the same, all great um, stories have certain elements in them. Biblical literature is the same. First, it starts off with characters, right? Characters that we can relate to, um, identify with. Um, We are sinful, and we tend to make mistakes. Just like some of the characters in the Old Testament, we are imperfect. We fall short of God's glory. We make mistakes. Um, But there's also this character of God in the Old Testament, and he is the hero in um, in biblical narrative, and uh, he is woven in and orchestrating the events in the story. All stories also contain plot. Biblical narrative has plot, has events, which often lead up to a conflict or a problem or a challenge in a character's life, um, which then leads up to um, what's called the climax, or I told my students in my class, it's like the point of no return. Something has to happen um, because of that problem. It's the turning point in the story. And then um, all great stories end with a revelation resolution, how that obstacle, how that problem, how that conflict was worked out. Um, In biblical narrative, this is a story where God is always the main character. He is always the hero. He is always the one at work. Um, And the purpose of biblical narrative is to point to this holy, mighty God. it's critical to keep in mind, though, as we're reading, you know, this is different from the literature that mm-hmm. I taught in, to my students in my class, because this is not an ordinary book that we're opening. Um, it's not an ordinary story. It is written by God. And I love like what Paul, how Paul discusses the Word in, um, with Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. He says this, But as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's this book, these stories that we read about in the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These stories are breathed out by God, and while we're reading them, His Spirit is present with us, teaching us, drawing us closer to Him, um, revealing His character to us, teaching us more about Him. It's very different from reading any other piece of literature. Mm -hmm. So what would you say, um, knowing that, you know, hopefully we can all agree with that, knowing that, you know, what, what God has allowed to come to us through the ages, you know, here it's 2019, crazy that like this word of his has, you know, stood, stood that test of time. Um, what would you say if you were coming alongside of a sister who maybe was getting newer into Bible study? What were, what are some things that maybe if she were to sit down and start studying a book written in that style, what are some things that might, um, be some challenges that she might encounter or tips maybe that you could think of that might help her in her study? Okay, so I think the most comforting thing to me, and, and I'm getting older, um, so like I'm in my mid-40s now in life, and I always have, and maybe it's my nature um, and just how I'm wired, but I want to know the answers and I want to have, I was talking about this with my husband, I want to um, earlier today, I want to have it all figured out, and and yet that that is not the life that the Lord has um, said He'd give to us, right? He He who it, it, there's a and I don't have the reference right now. I'm really poor at remembering the addresses <laughs> of Scripture, but this He who began a good work and you will be faithful, complete to complete it until the day of Christ. Like it was probably in this last year that that verse, just a familiar verse, really hit me that he is going to keep working on me until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's not tomorrow that I, or today, that I'm going to arrive, but I'm, I'm on this lifelong journey of being sanctified and made more holy and even learning more about Him. And even His Word, right? Like His Word is is timeless. Um, if you are new to studying it, I, I, I think the biggest thing that I could ask you or just recommend you to do is to open it with a prayerful heart and ask Him to be your teacher. Ask Him to show who He is and what He wants you to learn about Him as you're reading, because the Holy Spirit will be present with you. If you are a believer, if you've surrendered your life to, to Him, He promises to gift you this counselor, and He will help you as you're opening and reading God's Word. Um, I think that is the most important thing to keep in mind as you approach it scripture. Know that you will um I don't I don't even I can't even begin to count the number of times I haven't kept track the number of times maybe that I've gone through verses in Romans or chapters in Romans and each time you're going to 
um, if, if you let go that I, I don't have to have it all figured out right now, each time God is going to teach you something new and he'll just keep teaching you and teaching you as you come back to him. Just be faithful in coming to him and expecting that he will teach you something about it. I also would say go slowly. Um, right now I'm trying to finish up uh, Dayton Women in the Words 365. I'm stuck in Hebrews. <laughs> so I, I, I have it all paced off, you know, to check off <laughs> these many boxes. I need to read this many chapters. But that's just not what the Lord has had for me right now. He's wanted me to slow down and maybe concentrate on this one chapter, this one small passage for a little while. Don't beat yourself up if you fall off a chronological reading plan or um, don't get everything checked off the list for the day. Know that um, what he brings you and teaches you when you open his word would be sufficient for that moment. Um, in particular, with this, um, with biblical narrative, I think the hardest thing is to know um, that context is really, really important. And it's also our biggest obstacle as, are we 21st century? Still 21st century, yes. <laughs> yes. I can never quite keep up with that. As 21st century believers, because this is, like, um, Jen Wilkin um, uses this quote. She says, you know, before you can hear mm. biblical narrative, um, hear it with your ears, we need to hear it with their ears. Before you can understand it today, we need to understand it back then when it was written. And there's so many things. One, because we're either not, uh, we didn't grow up with a Jewish mm -hmm. heritage, or we don't understand Jewish traditions, or our culture is just extremely different than um, the time when these uh, books were written. On top of that, many of us really don't have a really great grasp of events in world history, or we don't even can't even begin to comprehend geography, and things seem far away and removed. Um, we can't read um, the original Hebrew or Greek, um, and there are many. On top of that, there's many idioms found in the Bible that, um, and especially in the Old Testament literature, that. Um, that don't have a meaning to us. An idiom is a thing like it's raining cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. So there's a Jewish expression uh, like he slept with his fathers. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> well, you have to do a little digging to know that that means that he's passed away. Or we might encounter things like those stiff-necked people. What does that mean? Well, these are people that are, it's, a, it's an idiom that means they're being rebellious or um, stubborn. Learning context again, this is a, another thing where I would say give yourself a lot of grace. It takes time and God will give you layer upon layer and he will build that for you if you trust him and seek him to help you with that. Um, there's a lot of great resources. So there's like, I, I feel like God has given me layer upon layer of things and it's just taken time, kind of like... Um, to lay down for me to really 
So don't beat yourself up. Don't compare yourself to another woman or another scholar that you know who you think has it all together. Um, the Lord will be your teacher. Mm-hmm. Give yourself grace and time to do it. Yeah. I think um, another another statement that Jen Wilkin makes in her book somewhere is to um, not like shy away from portions of bible study that become uncomfortable like we you know want where we come from this like instant gratification western western culture mm-hmm. and not all s- study is like that and i know i was really convicted i um, went through pharmacy school and i was like i had no problem like you know sitting down and pouring over textbooks and just grappling with this and then when i come up to like a bump in bible study i'm like ugh. Okay, I'm skipping over this and like flipping to something easy and you know, you you just take away from what God has there to teach you when you, you know, get discouraged by that like concept that just isn't clicking and I think that there the times that I've taken the time to dig a little more into you know, is there a cultural context that I'm missing that would help this passage make more sense that that has just like infinitely deepened my understanding of the depth of what was there like what may have just been like okay that was encouraging before like oh wow you know so like you said it it might take more work and a little bit more effort than you're used to but it definitely like makes it worth it when you're willing to spend the time to do the digging sometimes when we read a passage of scripture that we get stuck on i think one of the first things to look at is the cross references um so for example the other day um my boys and i were reading in second kings five about the story of nahum and he um is a as a as a man who was syrian if i'm remembering correctly and he had leprosy and he was this commander in the king of syria his army and and they're enemies to the Israelites, but um, he has taken this Hebrew girl as a slave in their home, and she tells him about the prophet Elisha because she believes that if he goes and sees him, Elisha will be able to cure him. And so in the course of the story, God leads this man who doesn't even know him to go to seek out Elisha for healing, and he goes, and of course, Elisha sends him to the river, and he and God heals him. I, you know, my boys and I were talking about specifically probably didn't come out and meet, <laughs> meet Nahum because um, otherwise Nahum may have thought that Elisha healed him, and that's not the way that God wanted that, that man to know about him. So anyway... Um, then when you look at the cross-references, Luke um, 4 is referenced, and it brings you then to the New Testament where Christ talks about that story. And it happens in the time when he um, is just starting his ministry, and he's in Nazareth teaching in the temple. He's told them essentially that he is the Messiah, the promised one they're looking for, and the religious folks are furious. <laughs> and eventually he tells them this story. Um, and and this, this is what he says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah sent none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers. And this is the story that I read with my boys in Israel at the time of the prophet of Elisha. And none of them were, were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove Jesus out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their mess, he went away. And if you look up these cross-references, you see that this is a God. You know, he's referencing a God that makes him his name known to foreigners. There's the gospel way back in the Old Testament, too, right? Where God is, he's saying that he's the Savior for all. Um, my ESV commentary tells us that when these religious men in Jesus' day, they're angry because he's reminding them that when Israel rejects God's prophets, they will go elsewhere, even to the Gentiles. So I would say um, a couple things that have helped me are my commentary. Um, and I use the ESV commentary. I know there's a free app that you can use. Again, I would encourage you first to rest, <laughs> to pray and read um, the word as it is, use the cross references. And then if you get, you know, continue to be, as you continue to wrestle with it, then go to a commentary that may help you more with some of this context stuff, which is a little bit more difficult in our 21st century Western minds. Yeah. Um, I know we, we touched on this a little bit when you were explaining um just the picture of the meta narrative and how um, biblical narrative kind of fits in that. And then your example of the cross references was, you know, spot on with this as well. But do you have any other um, kind of last thoughts on how biblical narrative helps us point to Christ in the gospel? Yeah, actually, um, when I was preparing for all of this, Jillian kind of pointed out some tips that helped me as well. And, um, she said, you know, in um, the narrative in the New Testament um, speaks for itself because Christ is present. We see him in, mm -hmm. in the words of the New Testament. The narrative in the Old Testament is, is different in that it is unfinished often when you get to the end of a story. For example, I just uh, went through that Ezra Nehemiah study with a group of women in my home. It was a beautiful time. And you get to the very last chapter of Nehemiah, uh -huh. and it's such a disappointment. Yeah. You're because, like, is that, is that it, really? Because the people are still really struggling with sin, mm -hmm. and um, they're, they're still waiting. Like, they, they have an imperfect priest. And, and they're still waiting. It points to um, waiting for a Redeemer because their repentance was not permanent. Um, it points to a need for a perfect high priest, a Savior who needs to come. So when, when you're reading the Old Testament narrative, look for places that point to the need for a perfect because all gospel or all the all the pages of scripture will point to Christ. So look for pla places where it is pointing to the need for a redeemer as you're reading these stories and if you come across things like that that are disappointing because they're so broken <laughs> remember that it's pointing to that oh yeah it's cuz we need our savior. I'd say another story that's that um I see like an over 
overarching story that runs through Scripture is the story of the Israelite kings. So they wrestle with sin and idolatry, and then the people under them also, you know, they are either faithful to God if there's a good king, or they're wayward and not following God if there's a quote-unquote bad king or a wicked king. And at the end of the Old Testament, they have lost their kingdom because they've rejected what I would say is their all-too-patient God. You know, we hear sometimes that he's, you have to think about how many years that God was patient with these people. And, but when, you know, their kingdom is taken, they lose their kingdom to Babylon, and um, it points to the need for a perfect king to come, to lead God's people. That's us. And um, a king who needs to come, and then he does, right? Christ in the New Testament. And then she, uh, we talked about, or Jillian mentioned too, just the narrative in the book of Acts involve all the events that happen after Christ's resurrection in the new church. Um, and then his work of redemption is ongoing through those people and the things that are happening, but it points to restoration that is yet to come um, when all creation will be made new and when Jesus will come again. So um, as we kind of draw to a close, I know um, Melanie had me look over um, her notes a couple days ago, and she has like oodles and oodles of great resources that we'll make sure that we share um, when the this episode airs um, in the show notes and everything. But what what are maybe just a couple, if you had to pick of those resources, what are um, ones that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I, I would say maybe um, one resource that I really, really loved is um, something called Secret Church. It's by uh, David Platt. And he has, um, it, it, actually, he has archived all his secret churches from the past. It's kind of a yearly conference that he hosts, and he goes through just a massive amount of Bible instruction. They're just really, I, I love them. So Secret Church number three is called How to Study the Bible, and it is a wonderful equipping video for studying Scripture. And some of what I talked about today mm -hmm. came from that. There's a free resource, like a downloadable resource, okay. a packet that is also available on that website that you can use to follow along with the with the video. And he does talk about all of these things, like how um, the different books of the Bible and, and what style they're written and understanding context is very, very good. I also recommend the Bible Project. So the Bible Project has a series of teachings on how to approach reading scripture. Um, but then also, you know, specifically there's videos there about narrative. There's maybe three or four, I think, if I can remember correctly. And then they also have additional um, videos for every book mm -hmm. of the Bible, which I also love. And what I'd again recommend you do is first read the text wrestle with the text, pray, <laughs> ask the Lord to be your teacher through the text, look up your cross-references, and then use these videos towards the end because they are commentary that, um, you know, man has put his thoughts, albeit I think they're really 
doctrinally sound thoughts on what that book is saying, um, but those videos are wonderful. Another resource that I love is just even the Dayton Women in the Word 365 reading plan that is um, on the website and a journaling Bible. Just following that, like reading through the Bible chronologically with chapter and verse and context of when it was written is a beautiful thing. Um, my ESV study Bible, there's so many. Um, for kids in particular, I love, like I've been reading with my boys, um, The Long Story Short, which is a devotional that kind of reads through um, the story of Scripture and explains it well with children and points to Christ in the Old Testament. It's a great resource. And then another study that I've loved is Seamless. Um, and I've used that to disciple and encourage other women and girls. And um, that's she, uh, Angie Smith, is a very approachable, real, encouraging teacher, um, helpful and equipping. Um, yeah, us to study the word more. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Melanie, for just all of the thought and care that you put into preparing for today. I know. I've been encouraged to have a, a deeper lens in approaching the narrative portions of scripture, and I hope that our um, listeners are encouraged as well. Um, any last parting words for our listeners before we go? Yeah, I, um, I found this quote um, by a man named Conrad Mbaiway, and um, he was talking again about how to approach reading scripture, and I, I think what Again, I would encourage you is with, with these words. And he says this, Finally, it should be emphasized that in order to truly understand the Bible with increasing depth over a lifetime, we must read the scriptures repeatedly. The Bible is not a book to be read once and then placed on the shelf. In my words, we just simply won't be able to get it all. It's so rich and so deep. We have to keep picking it up. He continues, as God's life-giving word, it must be read and meditated on with great care over and over again. As we grow in our knowledge of the full landscape of Scripture, and in my words, which takes a lot of time, give yourself grace, every verse within that landscape will become clearer and more meaningful to us. Unlike other books which we read and finish, believers never truly finish reading the Bible. I just love that. Just as we must eat physical food each day if we're to be physically healthy, we must eat spiritual food each day if we're to be spiritually healthy. As the psalmist prayed, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Psalm 119, 148. Psalm 119, if you are struggling with even knowing how to begin um, with approaching God's Word. Psalm 119 is this beautiful kind of prayer, hearts cry out to God about a longing and a hunger for His Word. I'd, I'd encourage you to ask Him. And one of the prayers that I ask Him often from time to time is, Lord, please give me an insatiable hunger for your word. I want to know you and I know that you want to teach me. Please give me a hunger to go to your word. And um, for each one of you girls listening out there, I would just say be encouraged. Take one step each day at a time and embark on a lifelong journey with the Lord through His Word. 
He has so much to teach us, and He will. He promises He will be faithful. He wants us to know us. So I would just encourage you to just keep pursuing Him. All right. Well, I I can't add anything to that. So thank you, Melanie. And I hope you listeners have enjoyed our chat today.